Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDSE. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. You're listening to the Impact Theory Podcast, your source of empowering ideas and actionable techniques from the world's highest achievers. Join host Tom Bilyeu, serial entrepreneur and co-founder of the billion-dollar brand Quest Nutrition, on a journey to unlock your potential and realize your vision of success. Welcome to Impact Theory. Everybody, welcome to Health Theory. You're here because you believe that human potential is nearly limitless, but you know that your ability to actually actuate your potential is at least partially based on your physical body. As such, both of us are here to learn, and my obsession is with helping people optimize their minds, and my goal with this show is to introduce you to the people and ideas that will help you do just that. I'm Tom Bilyeu, co-founder of Quest Nutrition and Impact Theory, and today we're joined by Dr. Emerin Mayer. He's a UCLA professor, brain-gut microbiome expert, gastroenterologist, neuroscientist, and Amazon best-selling author of The Mind-Gut Connection. In my quest to solve my wife's digestive issues, I came across his book and I was totally blown away and wanted to bring him on to see what more I could learn. So without further ado, Dr. Emerin Mayer. Thank you so much for joining us Hi, today. Tom. Nice to be on the show. Absolute pleasure to have you here. Um, as I was telling you off camera, sincerely, my journey to help my wife get into a better place um, has been massively impacted by your book, which I think is really incredible. And Thank by you. way of primer for people, how exactly does the gut influence our overall well-being? Well, I mean, writing this book has been a new experience for me. I've been a scientist on studying the communication between the brain and the gut for um, most of my career. The concept is that multiple parts of our body interact with each other and the brain sits over them like this supercomputer that makes sure the, the interactions are okay. And if everything works in harmony, we also feel good as a as a, as a, as a byproduct. So you're not, you know, evolution didn't really select that we feel good. It's, but, but evolution selected all our systems so they work perfectly. And when they work perfectly, you know, we have a sense of well-being. So, so my wife, Lisa, um, just about, God, almost two and a half years ago now, uh, started saying, I don't feel well. And then started vomiting, like, really badly. And so we thought she had the stomach flu and couldn't eat when she first had it. Everything upset her stomach. And by stomach, I mean gut. And then in trying to like figure this all out, we realized that she had lost diversity in her microbiome. And so, okay, how do we rebuild from that? And a very long process, we tried a lot of things, but the one that like when we, when we were advised to do it just did not seem possible that it could be useful. And then I've heard you talk a lot about it 
was um, she was advised not to eat if she was stressed and to, to do like almost a meditative eating, to breathe in a meditative fashion while she ate. Why on earth would that matter? Well, I mean, the answer to that is, is actually fairly simple. So when you imagine that the brain and the gut are connected and have always been connected, you know, um, millions of years in evolution, this has always been a tight-knit unit, that um, if an organism is, if, if, a, if a person is, is stressed, it will send down signals to the gut. It will change a lot of things. So this so-called autonomic nervous system can change the transit time, the peristaltic activity in different parts of the GI tract in different ways. So it's stress will slow down the stomach, but speed up the intestine. Severe stress can lead to these very powerful contractions. Secretion of fluid, secretion of what's called antimicrobial peptides, mucus. So you have to imagine that when you're stressed, your gut is different, completely different from when you're not stressed or when you're, uh, when you're relaxed. So this is not only that it affects the gut, but it also affects the microbes because it's their home. So um, that environment that they live in and they thrive on, if that all of a sudden is changed or is chronically changed, I mean, that's really the main problem. I mean, if you're stressed, you know, for five minutes because um, you were almost hit by a car, you know, that, that's not a big deal, really, it's in terms of that balance. But if you're chronically stressed, you have a chronically altered uh, composition of, of, of your gut. So now when you eat something, it, it doesn't feel right. You get symptoms, you get bloating, you get cramps. Um, it triggers these reflexes in the gut to, you know, to, for things to move through faster. It could result in diarrhea. And one thing you've likened it to, which I thought was really helpful for somebody that's just sort of starting to wrap their head around this, is you said we have facial expressions when we're angry, when we're scared. And if you think of those states as being something internal that's now represented by the muscles in the face, those same internal states can be represented in a similar fashion by the gut. And that if you get them in a state that is their version of the angry face or the scared yeah. face or whatever, um, that they're actually, like you just said, they're producing different metabolites and things like that, which can have a pretty profound effect. And that, that image for me of, of thinking of my gut states as being as reactive as my facial reactions, and are they as reactive like that as fast as the face can respond? In my, in my book, I also mentioned this, um, these observations by, um, by uh, physicians in during war times, you know, when they had somebody had like a fistula of their stomach and they could actually see their intestines moving and blood flow. So they noticed when somebody walked in and that, that wounded soldier got upset, instantaneously saw changes in the contraction and in the blood flow. So this, um, but what I said earlier, you know, if, if that happens every once in a while, it's probably not such a big deal. Mm. Um, if, if it happens chronically, it will rearrange the whole habitat and ecological system in, 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 in your gut. And so, you know, we've always known that negative emotions are never good for anything, really. So the Buddhist principle is that there's no good, bad emotion. <laughs> um, and so they, but they clearly affect your health. I mean, it's not just that you feel bad, you know, it's, um, but I would say, you know, it's, it's many parts of the body that reacts to emotions, like your heart rate. And the difference is the gut is the most complex system that's affected by this. 
and the gut has the microbes. The heart doesn't have that. Your, your blood vessels don't have that. Um, any emotions, it's not so, such a new thing that it's a physical representation of, of, of your emotions, just as it's like in your face and your muscles. The impact on, on, on the overall organism is much greater because you, know, you have the system sitting there with the trillions of microbes that are all little chemical factories you have here. The, the biggest part of your immune system, the biggest part of your hormonal system, it's all sitting there. And when these signals go down from the gut, it changes the whole interaction. Mm. One thing that I really want people to understand that I was blown away by in your book, and I mean, it's right there in the title, so maybe I shouldn't have been as sort of awestruck by it as I was, but that there's a feedback loop going both directions. So the gut is, is as you've called it, and I'm sure is, it's called in your field, the forgotten organ, right? So that if you took all the microbiota in your body and condensed it down, um, which we can't even see it. So the fact that once you condense it down, you realize just how big it is, about the size of a liver, yeah, if I'm not mistaken, yeah. which makes it one of the largest organs in your body. Um, if you were to flatten it out, it's bigger than a basketball court. Yeah. So it's this massive sensing organ, which mm -hmm. I never realized. It actually has the ability to taste, though not. It, it's the same receptors that we yes, have on our tongue. Yeah. It has the ability to smell um, and so it's, it's taking in all these cues that it's reading from the food, and then it's speaking back to the brain, and then the brain is speaking back to it. And that through the millions of years of evolution, it's gotten really good at communicating with us. It's a big system, um, but <clears throat> it's not the one that generates your emotions. It's, it's the system that completely takes care of your gut activity and your daily function. So anything that you do within food ingestion, this system can handle unless you get stressed or emotionally upset about something then the big brain interferes with that a lot of people when they're stressed they don't feel it women feel it more likely than men do when there's a change in that gain in, in that sensitivity then all of a sudden patients develop all kinds of symptoms you know from from fullness bloating abdominal distension um, intolerance of certain food items. Is that why IBS was originally considered a psychosomatic problem? Yeah, so I mean, this, this term psychosomatic, you know, I mean, today we, we call it mind-body medicine, but the psychosomatic medicine movement was, had, had, had a wrong basic concept that, that all these diseases were brain, were brain diseases. Now we, are, we look at them as, you know, the brain-gut microbiome, um, uh, disturbances or alterations in, in, in the balances. So one of the things probably why, um, you know, many of these stress-related disorders become chronic, because that system that normally keeps things in balance is altered and accepts a different, a different steady state, a different stability state. And once it has this new stability state, it's, it's stuck in that. And it becomes chronic. And, and so basically, it's, it'll change its set point. So it it's, if you're first starting to get stressed, it tries to get back to a neutral set point. But if you're always stressed, always stressed, always stressed, that basically becomes a new normal. Absolutely. What is the function of that? So this, this terrifies me as somebody who has a wife with microbiome issues yeah. that once you get it out of whack, like it's hard, but if you manage to get it out of whack and it's got its new set point, how do you get it built back up? 
And I read something terrifying, which basically said, if you look at us as a species over time, there's this like stair-step declination mm -hmm. of diversity um, in the microbiome. And so if, if you know, your, let's say your great-grandparents were here, your grandparents were here, your parents were here, but you're here, if in your life you experience a decline, you can get it back up to where you started, but as far as I can tell from what I've read, nobody thinks you can get it back to where your great-grandparents were. Why? I don't yes. understand that. Why can't I just take a probiotic? Yeah, so this is, this is a, a big issue right now. You know, so there was a recent paper, starting from this, um, a population that, that can do it. So the hot star in, in East Africa and Tanzania, Rift Valley. So these are some of the last remaining hunter-gatherers. I think it's only a couple of hundred left that live that lifestyle. And their microbiota, their microbiome diversity has a seasonal variation. So they found that if they, do it, if they test them in summer and winter, and what, what's different in summer and winter with these people is they, they switch from a um, more plant-based diet to a more meat-based diet. Their microbiome changes with these dietary changes. When you look at them at the state when they don't have the high plant intake, um, it looks like ours, almost the same. Whoa. Misses the same species and the same um, types of microbes. Then when they go to the, the, the plant-based diet, it regains its diversity. So they still have the ability to go from, from our level back up to the high level. Mm. There's thousands of species that do not, are not that essential, and you can lose them. But if you lose one of those keystone species, then the whole system gets altered. So it's, it's possible what happened in Western society or in developing countries that we lost some of these keystone species and so no longer have this ability to, to, uh, to return. Um, I think it's going to be one of the biggest challenges, really, to, to, yeah, and to so find that out. If I can't do it through probiotics, could I? And I've actually, seriously, I put a date that if my wife wasn't better by, and thankfully she's sort of beyond the critical threshold now, but if she hadn't gotten better by X date, I was going to take her somewhere to get a fecal transplant. Mm -hmm. Is that a possibility? Like, is that a way to... At the moment, the answer is, is no. So there's many ongoing studies now, clinical trials with fecal microbial transplants. And uh, so as you know, there's one condition where, where it works perfectly. It's the best, the best treatment in this when all your normal microbes are wiped out. It's uh, um, C. difficile colitis. It's, yeah. um, so you get this, some people get this when they receive antibiotics in the, in, in, in the hospital. So it works really well. But you have to remember that in, in that situation, the normal microbiome has been wiped out pretty much. So you start from scratch. All the other conditions where it's been tried, like inflammatory bowel disease and um, uh, irritable bowel syndrome and autism spectrum disorder, you have an altered microbiome, but it, it's, it's, it's at another stable state. You know, it's, it has assumed another um, ecological stability state, and it's, it's very difficult to push it away from that. There are studies going on where People get repeated courses of antibiotics mm. and then fecal microbial transplant, like in, in, in autism spectrum disorders, that's been tried. Um, um, and the hypothesis there was that the microbiome is playing a role in autism. Uh, yeah, which is somewhat questionable. I mean, autism starts really in, in, in utero, you know, the, the abnormal growth of the brain. So if, if anything, I think it's potentially the microbiome and the metabolites of the mother that affect the, the, the child's brain development. And 
Um, <clears throat> so that's kind of my theory about this. But a lot of desperate parents are doing these, these transplants themselves. Then our, our diet is clearly another thing. You know, um, the more plant-based fiber you eat, the greater the, the diversity of your microbiome is. And this is sort of where this whole concept of you know, the, the plant-based diet comes in. That the metabolites that these microbes produce, the more you feed them what they have evolved for in evolution, the breakdown these complex fiber components of, of, of plants, the more you feed them that, the, the larger their number will get and the more of these healthy metabolites they will, you know, they will produce. And it's, it's kind of interesting to me, on the one side from a gut microbial diversity, gut health standpoint, it's, um, it would seem very easy to say what's, what's the best diet for people. But, but then clearly we have others, you know, um, like in IBS, it's like this FODMAP diet, which actually takes out a lot of the, the fiber, mm. these oligosaccharides. Um, we have the ketogenic diet, you know, which obviously is wonderful to lose weight. And if you have diabetes to, to you know, get, get your hemoglobin A1C down. But, but they're certainly not what the microbes for their health and diversity like, you know. So, right. I mean, to sum the whole thing up, I, I think we're beginning now to understand that there are situations where the diversity can oscillate depending on what we eat. Um, let me ask you, what's the role of the gut in depression and anxiety? It's, it's very interesting. I mean, there's studies going on and, you know, we would, we're planning to get involved in this war large-scale studies with a dietary intervention like a, you know a mediterranean type diet in like in, in 600 people you know where you look at the brain and the microbiome before and after that dietary intervention particularly with a focus on uh, cognitive performance and cognitive decline and <clears throat> my guess is that over time um, there's, there's, there's different influence now, the ketogenic diet, I, I find, still find that puzzling. You know, the, so a lot of people say, oh, it's, when they started this, they completely felt different. The brain mm. fog was gone. Uh, it's in some ways paradoxical because it's not the good thing for, for, for your microbes necessarily. But that's a situation where people report as they immediately felt better or different. So I've used a ketogenic diet very extensively in my own life, and then my wife has used it in her recovery as well. And so um, I'll walk you through what each of us experienced. So my experience is not with a lifting of brain fog or anything like that, but a profound difference in the way that I respond to hunger. So if I'm on a high-protein diet, I'm never high-carb. I haven't been high-carb in more mm -hmm. than 10 years. Mm -hmm. um, so my average daily carb intake is probably less than 30 grams. Uh, and entirely from vegetables. So what I see is when I get hungry, if I'm high protein, I have a declination of performance. I'm not able to concentrate. I get slightly irritable. Uh, maybe I get a headache. I certainly don't want to concentrate. Like if you're gonna give me that there's any willpower component to this, mm -hmm. my willpower is way low when I get hungry on a high protein diet because I'm burning glucose. Now my wife's experience has been the anti-inflammatory effects, because she is often self-reported that her gut feels swollen. She doesn't know how else to explain it. Mm -hmm. She's like, it just feels swollen. Mm -hmm. So uh, you know, she eats something and it's going through her system and it just feels irritated and inflamed. Mm -hmm. And when she does a um, ketogenic diet, that is significantly reduced. Mm -hmm. 
However, she'll still have bouts of what sound like typical IBS symptoms, mm-hmm. right? She'll, um, uh, she'll have diarrhea, she'll have cramping, bloating, pain, like all of it, and be like, what just triggered that? I was doing perfectly for, let's say, four days, and now all of a sudden, eating the same thing, all of a sudden she has like some big episode. So clearly not a silver bullet for her, but has been a big part of what we do to, to maintain her inflammation levels. Yeah, so I mean, I would say, you know, now with, with this gut microbiome science, I think there will be a whole revisiting of, of dietary recommendations, uh, even though initially I was a skeptic of the ketogenic diet. But I mean, you have to listen to, to, to people. I mean, in some ways, it, that tells you more than, than, than the mouse experiments. You know, mm-hmm. so if, if people feel better, obviously, there must be a reason why that is the case. I think nutrition and diet is just entering a phase of of real scientific rigor now, which it didn't have in, in the past. Mm. Um, and that's largely driven by the interest in the microbes, because if you want to understand what the microbes do, you know, they live off what we eat. So it's, it's going to be essential to, um, to, you know, to, uh, to, to, to sort this out. So really fast, going back to depression and anxiety, the, the question that I most want to ask you, why on earth is 95% of the serotonin, which I think of, I mean, you know, SSRIs, right? Selective serotonin mm-hmm. reuptake inhibitor, which is used for depression, which is all about the brain. Why is 95% of serotonin stored in the gut? And what does it mean? Because you, you say it's stored, but I don't remember you following up on, like, what does it mean to be stored versus used? Is 95% used in the gut? Or, like, what, what is serotonin's role in all of this? Um, it's, it's a story in, 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 in progress, you know, um, I mean, I wish I could give you the answer. I, I asked myself the same question. Why, <laughs> why would, you know, evolution design us in a way that, that, that molecule that plays such an important role in, in sleep and well-being and pain sensitivity, why, why would it all just be at the gut level? And is it manufactured in the gut and stored in the gut or manufactured it, elsewhere and stored in the no, gut? It, no, it is manufactured in the gut. So it's a hormone uh, tryptophan hydroxylase from dietary tryptophan um, that's, that's taken up um, by these cells. And interestingly, so we now know, last couple of years has come out, that this enzyme that, that converts tryptophan into serotonin is to a large degree under the influence of microbial signals. So that the microbes can actually, you know, influence how much serotonin that you synthesize, that you produce, um, and ultimately also how much is being released. When they're stimulated by microbial signals or by contractions of the gut or by some food product, the serotonin is being released on the synapse and sends a signal through the vagus nerve into your brain, in, into emotional regulation centers of the brain. So that's probably the, ma- the main communication pathway between um, the serotonin, the, the microbes, serotonin signals, and, and, you know, brain function and emotional function. You know, so for example, if you eat a, a diet high in tryptophan, and people have taken tryptophan supplements, mm. which really should be good for you in some ways, because the microbes, if, if they see more tryptophan, they send more signals to these serotonin cells to produce serotonin. So you would have a very simple antidepressant. Initially, you think that's, yeah, that's the answer. You know, like there's a change in gut microbial, enterocrine cell communication, and 
that that somehow plays a role in, in depression and, and, and anxiety. Unfortunately, it's not that it's not that simple. I think depression probably starts at the brain, some vulnerability. Then it becomes manifest during periods of stress or trauma. The brain sends signals to the gut microbes, changes their behavior, um, their function, and then these metabolites, you know that that we know, they probably go back to the brain and reinforce it and create this, this vicious cycle of um, brain-gut microbiome interactions that I personally think underlies chronic depression. And I've heard you say that you think meditation may actually play a role in that. Like, what, what's your belief about mechanistically what's going on? Like, why would meditation help? Our hypothesis was that... Um, Meditation changes the, the activity of your aut autonomic nervous system that signals back to the gut. Um, clearly, if you're in a state of relaxation or mindfulness, will be less sympathetic or less stress signals mm. going to the gut. That changes the microbes and metabolites, and then that would, in some ways, you know, break that, 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 that cycle. But we did another study with, with cognitive behavioral therapy in patients with with irritable bowel syndrome and as we had anticipated you know patients do quite well so about 60 percent response rate on that with this cognitive behavioral therapy the only thing that we found is which is interesting that your gut microbial composition when you start out the therapy in some ways predicts if you're going to respond to it or not Wow, I've never heard that before. So you're saying that you could sequence the microbiome and say either you have a setup that matches people that have gotten a lot of benefit out of this or you haven't. And potentially, do you know what Viome is doing in terms of sequencing? Yeah, actually, I'm, I mean, I should disclose I'm on the scientific advisory board of that company. And if you do that Viome test, it could, and you have suffering from IBS, it could predict, you know, if, if you're going to respond to to what type of therapy, diet or um, mind-based or, um, or, or medications. I mean, that technology and that approach, I think, has, has the potential to really break the current paradigm and the, the current practice of medicine. Yeah, I'm really intrigued to see what big data is able to pull out of this, especially with that hypothesis that you just put forward, which should be perfectly answered by that. If we can see set states and then they have predictive abilities in terms of outcomes, then if we can use big data to really work back, what actually is the causative mm -hmm. rather than just the correlative um, element of that would be really fascinating. All right, I wanna do a segment now called Gut Check. Huh? <laughs> nice and clever. And uh, I give us the top, whatever number, two, three things that um, are going on right now, either at the individual person level or at a societal level, that have massive um, gut health implications that people may or may not be aware of. The food industry has played a big role in um, providing us with nutrition that's not good for us. So all the processed foods and the high sugar and high, high fat. And <clears throat> um, so there's a, a pending, I mean, an ongoing paradigm shift as well. So many of the, the CEOs of these companies have realized that A, the consumer habits are changing. There's some very visionary um, CEOs of some of these big companies that have in mind the, the, the benefit of, of the consumer, not, mm. not the benefit of the, of the shareholder. So I think that's a, a very exciting thing. And 
the change in the in the in the food that we eat and the awareness of people and the response now of the the people that produce these foods. I think that's that's clearly a you know big thing. I think the um, the antibiotic use in terms of a negative example. Um, I think that's still unabated. I think that um, you know you know some pretty dramatic changes will have to will have to happen for for, for this to really fundamentally change it in in OBGYN, in pediatrics, and adult treatment. There's people that recommend antibiotic treatment for IBS, mm. which I personally think is in some ways crazy. In a time where we all know that, you know, we, we don't want to harm the microbes, so to give repeated doses of antibiotics, for, which gives you a marginal benefit, mm. transient benefit, um, I, I think is really irresponsible. Well, I mean, I would say the third thing is that there are now a massive effort to see if how the, 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 the microbiome, the, the wisdom that's in that system, how that can be utilized to both for diagnostics, um, but also for personalized medicine. It's conceivable that um, doing that test um, has more predictive value or diagnostic value than doing your annual physical and your, wow. your regular blood test. Potentially, you know, it's... Um, and at different stages of life. So if you do this on a pregnant mother, you could predict the risk for autism. If you do it in an infant, you could predict um, how this infant later will, you know, if it has a high risk of, of developing depression. Or, and, you know, th- th- this potential clearly has been recognized by, by people like at, at Viome or Ubiome or um, Day2. So, I mean, there's, there's many players now, I'm not sure who's going to win that race, but it's, it's, it, there's, there's a huge potential. This could revolutionize medicine. Yeah, the, so we've leveraged um, Viome very heavily. So we happen to know Naveen personally. He's been on the show, Impact Theory, a couple of times. Great dude, really like him. Yeah, he's and amazing, yeah. so he's allowed us to access the back end and work with some of the people that they have. And, and the thing that is has been so terrifying and the thing that I'm pushing him that is the problem he has to solve is the the massive complexity. So for instance, what we realized was Lisa has SIBO, but she also has a deficiency in um, the the variability, the variety of um, species that she has in her gut. She also has uh, uh, diminished lining of her gut and probably has some gut leak. So it's like, okay, you can't attack them all at once. So there's no one simple solution that's gonna solve everything. And if you took the antibiotics for SIBO, which like you were saying is the traditional recommendation, well, the problem is now you're gonna exacerbate all the other problems that she has lower down in the line. So, working on these like one at a time, right? Okay, so first we have to address SIBO and what do you have to do to do that? That's already insanely complicated. To tie this up with um, one thing that I just could not wrap this interview without talking about, it's something you introduced me to. I'd never heard of this before. And while I think you mean it specifically in reference to the brain as an analogy, I think it works for the complexity that I'm talking about, which is the brain connectome. what is the brain connectome? What does it mean? And maybe most interestingly, what is the paradigm that it totally shatters? The brain connectome project is something that's been initiated by the National Institute of Health. Um, 
And it's, it's based on the idea that um, it seems like obvious that every cell in, in the brain is connected with each other and that there's, there's networks of the brain that are connected with each other. And it's like a massive supercomputer, really, the way it's organized. And um, there are people that do, you know, with fiber tracking and with brain imaging, different modalities of brain imaging that study this phenomenon. And ultimately, we'll be able to get a much more accurate description of the functions of, of, of our brain, which it's still pretty primitive the way it is right now, you know. Um, and um, the, the impact will be, I mean, clearly there's a race on in understanding the brain and its potential and its role in disease. And so, for example, that whole idea that the brain is, a, it's not just a cognitive machine and an emotional machine, but its primary function probably being the supercomputer that surveys every cell in your body constantly on a millisecond, millisecond timescale and monitors for potential threats to, its home, to the homeostasis of the organism and then responds you know, based on its memory, its experience, um, but, but also based on, on, on inborn patterns um, to overcome that perturbation. So understanding how the brain does that, this regulatory role, I think will also revolutionize medicine. I mean, it, it's, um, as you said earlier, you know, medicine until, I mean, even today, 95% of medicine does not take the brain into account in, in health. And, it's crazy. Uh, which is crazy. It's the most powerful machine, you know, in, in the, well, certainly on this planet, that you would not take this into account in, in your theories of how the body functions. And it's, it's really amazing to me. Mm. But, yeah. but that is changing. I mean, so the, the Connectome project is one of those areas that is really pushing ahead and, and will, will establish the, the correct role of the brain in, 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 you know, in our physiology and our health. Mm. I love that notion of, of a Connectome, of being far more interrelated. And I think that's the, the thing that was the big breakthrough for me. It's far more interrelated than our metaphors and our analogies up to this point would lead us to believe, which is the exact issue that we're having with digestion, right? You've talked about people have historically thought about it as this machine, uh, kind of like a car. And it's like, if you take care of it and give it the right fuel, it'll last about 75 years. And, you know, with uh, having to address the occasional infection or whatever, but, but not understanding the role that communication plays, that there's the, as you said, the bi-directional communication of the brain to the gut, the gut to the brain, um, that so much of our immune system is housed in the gut, right? And, oh man, when I read this in your book, I almost flipped out, that the reason that so much of our immune system is in our gut is because of it's encountering potentially deadly um, bacteria in the food that we eat. Yeah. And I thought, oh my God, like it was one of those, that should be patently obvious, but never made my radar until I read it. And I think what you're working on is, is so critically important in this moment. I, because it's affected my life, um, I know just how important. And I, I worry that um, Lisa and I are sort of the, the tip of a spear of what's coming, which is really terrifying. If we don't get a lot more answers, I think there's gonna be an immeasurable amount of suffering and. Um, yeah, so getting some of these answers is, is incredibly important, and, and your book has really been a, a touchstone for that. All right, before I ask my last question, where can these guys find you online? My, my personal website, emronmeyer.com. Um, that guides you then to all the other uh, areas. 
All right, my final question, and this admittedly is meant to be hard because I want to force you into a binary situation where you can only choose one thing. Um, what one thing could people do additively or subtractively, uh, reductively, I guess, to have the biggest impact on their overall health and well-being? Yeah, so with the one thing that makes it difficult, I would, you know, I would probably start with the exercise part, um, but right after that or at the same level, the diet part. Um, I did not see that answer coming, I'll be honest. Really? Yeah. Well, the exercise diet, part... Diet, yes. Exercise, no. The exercise part is because, you know, there's so many studies, um, the benefits on cognitive function and um, the slowing the... the uh, cognitive decline and um, stress reduction and change, structural change in the brain. So sorry I disappointed you with the exercise, but... No, no, I love that. Being surprised is the best possible answer. Yeah. That's awesome. Well, Dr. Meyer, thank you so much so, for coming it was on. Great. It was a real really pleasure. Guys, if you haven't already discovered him out in the wide world, if you haven't read the book, if you haven't gone to his Facebook page, his website, Instagram page, go check it all out. He's really somebody that is at the absolute forefront of discovering this and what I love about him and what I think is, is just so apparent in the talk that we had today is he's not dogmatic. He's really trying to discover the answers. He has a deeply inquisitive mind and something that we didn't get to talk about in the interview, he was meant to take over a chocolate business, uh, which was <laughs> in the family for generations and he left that because he had a deep uh, passion for his inquisitiveness around the subjects that we talked about today and that shines through in everything that he does and you get the sense of somebody really trying to discover the truth and that to me is what the show is all about. We are going to succeed or fail based on our ability to really look at a lot of different hypotheses and build a worldview based on that rather than presenting dogma. Um, so just incredibly grateful for you coming on the show today. It was really, really amazing. Guys, dive into his world. I think that the connection between the mind and the gut is just absolutely critical. Uh, and you've got to figure that, that one out for yourself for sure if you want to be able to optimize your mind and live the best life possible. So thank you guys so much for joining us today. And if you haven't already, be sure to subscribe. And until next time, my friends, be legendary. Take care. Hey everybody, thank you so much for listening. And if this content is delivering value to you, please go to iTunes, go to Stitcher, rate and review us. That helps us build this community. And that is what we are all about right now, building this community as big as we can to help as many people as we can deliver as much value as possible. And you guys rating and reviewing really helps with that. All right, guys, thank you again so much. And until next time, my friends, be legendary. Take care.